0: Welcome to the Jazz Shapers podcast from Mish What you're about to hear was originally broadcast on Jazz FM. However, the music has been cut due to rights issues.
1: Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM in partnership with Mish It's business, but it's personal.
0: Welcome to Jazz Shapers with me Elliot Moss bringing the shapers of the business world together with the musicians shaping jazz, soul and blues. My guest today is Vanessa Jacobs, co-founder and CEO of The Restory, an aftercare service restoring luxury fashion. Born and raised in New York with, she says, her mother's fierce independence and ridiculous work ethic. It was while in London, preparing for a management consultancy interview, that Vanessa had the spark for her future business. When a high street cobbler unapologetically ruined her Christian Le Boutin ankle boots hours before the interview, Vanessa felt a sharp need for an easy, trustworthy way to care for luxury items – after testing the concept and searching for a team to develop the business model and strategy, Vanessa was introduced to future co-founders Thais Cipoletta and Emily John, and the trio launched The Restory in 2017, their initial focus on shoe care and a mission to help clients fall in love with their favorite pieces all over again. How romantic. The Restory now repairs items ranging from leather goods to designer shoes and bags, tackling moth holes, staining, colour fading and structural damage. And last year, the business, which they say is committed to sustainability and circular fashion, grew threefold with plans for serious investments in technology and leadership. Lovely to have you here firstly. Uh, Explain to me in your own words what the Restory is. I had a go earlier, but I'm sure you'll do a better job than me.
2: So there was a predecessor company to the Restory, a first go, if you will, there were multiple things wrong with it, and I closed it pretty quickly, went stealth for a while, took the lessons, etc., as people do, and then we went through a rebranding exercise, and one of the names that had initially came up was the re-story, and the thinking there was that, you know, everything's got a story, and I said, yeah, but I don't know if everyone's so sentimental about that, you know, really thinks of their things in that way, you know, doesn't that limit the audience? And so we put it to the side and then some other names came up and then somebody put up Restory with this picture of what would I could imagine would be a beautiful workshop that I didn't have at the time, but you know would have been very lovely. And to me, it seemed that it was like a magical place that you could just send your things off to and you don't have to worry about how it gets done or who does it, just know that it's going to come back right and perfect and it's going to be Respected for the place that it's found in your life, whether you know that value is emotional, financial, or or functional. So, we, for a long time, we let people kind of decide if they were going to call it restory or restory, depending on how they were thinking about those particular items.
0: It sort of feels like to me like a spa. It's a spa for a really nice place they go and say hello have a seat this is the time when we pamper you and we fix you <laughs> up again and you leave looking as good as new
2: Well it's a digital first mobile business so there's no physical place for you for you to go to or at least there wasn't at the time now we have you know multiple drop locations But I mean for the objects I mean yeah. for the
0: bag or the, the shoes or the boots or whatever yeah. that's where they sit there and they they get pampered <laughs> And and the first go at it what was it called then do Dare you ha- say. It. Do I, I have on. to say? You have to say. It. I'm making you now. I'm forcing you to say it. <laughs>
2: it was called the Shine Box.
0: <laughs> the Shine Box. All right. Well, I mean, you've done better. I think you were right. You were right to drop it. Was that an easy decision, though? In truth, looking back, yeah, because it just wasn't right.
2: It, it wasn't right. It was. Um, I had envisioned it in my head as a sort of a Joe in the Juice for shoe shine and coffee, and it would serve as a drop location where you could could also drop and collect your repairs that would be done offsite elsewhere. But I realized that it was only a very slightly better mousetrap. It wasn't bending female enough. And I always had the view that this business has traditionally been kind of overly skewed to men when it's actually women who are, to use an American phrase, quarterbacking those type of decisions that happen in the household. So it doesn't matter if she's the breadwinner or stay-at-home mom, she's, she's still in charge of all of that kind of thing. And I realized that I'm personally very bad at branding without, you know, I need professional help to do that. And I realized, you know, I didn't realize how much of yourself you would have to put behind this and you'd have to be able to stand up for something that you were proud of, even when you weren't, you know, even when others thought that it wasn't a good idea or you yourself were having doubts. So the whole thing was just kind of wrong. And um, I, I shut that down pretty quickly within about four months.
0: You're American. Hardly needs to be said, but it's, I think, relevant. New Yorkie, Arizonary, as I've discovered. You've been in the UK for how long now, Vanessa?
2: 17 years.
0: And has, has the sense of, and I don't know how much of an outsider you feel, but has that sense of looking in from the outside helped you, do you think, develop this breakthrough idea, this idea which has not been done before in the way that you are doing it?
2: Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think, I think anyone who moves to a new country and I've had the experience three different times in my life, you automatically start to see things that either they do better there that you could bring home or vice versa. So I think, I think everyone has that experience. I've never met anybody who's moved to a new country who hasn't had at least you know a couple of good ideas pop out from, from the experience. It's just the ones that you want to... Mm. you know kind of dedicate your your life to ultimately sometimes
0: but does it make it easier when you're not embedded in a place where you haven't sort of grown up with all the and i was i lived in india for a few years lived Mm -hmm. in mexico for a few years and i knew that what was in my head the visuals from my childhood were totally different to the my colleagues who were working in the indian ad agency with me is that sense of other does it make it easier to see what's missing
2: Yes and no. I mean, I, as I said, I've, I've been here a long time and this, this kind of seed of an idea was planted when I first got here. But then I did sit on the idea and I let it fester and grow and morph. <laughs> um, and initially over 10 years, just between my ears and, and, and occasionally a spreadsheet or something. And then I had, you know, then I had a, a couple of years to, to literally start to develop it. So I think by the time I actually started to put meat behind it, I was no longer an outsider, and I no. and I kind of knew I, di- I didn't have that other experience by then. Mm. So that, I guess the other was it calms down more relevant. Yeah, it was kind of you know very relevant in the beginning, and then you know maybe it helped it, maybe it hurt it mm. over time.
0: And that that point you made about the, the realization that when you create something, it's you, you know, wherever you are in your in your head in your life. At what point did that penny drop? That this personal investment in this business was going to hit you you know you were going to feel connected to it how did when did that suddenly occur to you
2: during that first 4 months when i launched that first that first business because then it was real and it was out there and it had you know my old colleagues from accenture were coming by the shop that i had and it was on linkedin and people were saying congratulations and oh what's this and you know i started to get a sense of everything that it was going to require the the accolades because people are always kind of patting you on the back for taking a brave step but also all the stress and the way that you just have to stand up for this thing and fight through all sorts of doubt and and try and come out on the other end
0: and those first still, few months is it still is it still there basically is that, oh yeah, yeah 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 for sure for but sure do you, do you manage it better though are you able to
2: so it's different now. Obviously, it, the the business is older. The industry has come along. Circular fashion has become sustainability. Circular fashion. All of these things have, you know, have come along. So it, the the concept of it is no longer like the issue like it was kind of back then. And in the beginning, it was you know, does anyone really want this? If you've if you've got money, don't you just buy new stuff? Women just throw away. Like that was that was something we heard a lot in the early days. And you don't really hear you don't hear that anymore. Now it's more like you know, can you? How do you control quality? How do you? How do you make the unit economics work? It's those sorts of issues.
0: Stay with me for much more from my guest. It's Vanessa Jacob. She's here with me for in a couple of minutes again. Right now, they we're going to hear a clip from the Michigan Academy digital sessions. They can be found on all the major podcast platforms. Michigan Drex Victoria Pigott talks about ESG, which stands for environmental, societal, and governance issues, and what the resulting long-term benefit is for businesses putting purpose before profit.
1: Ishkhan Academy Digital Sessions. Conversations on the legal topics affecting businesses and
3: individuals today. People have always made choices based on their beliefs. And so socially responsible investing is, is not new. But ESG is relatively new. The phrase was first coined in 2005 And socially responsible investing in ESG are actually different. So ESG is based on an assumption that ESG factors have financial relevance. It was the former UN Secretary Kofi Annan who really started the movement in 2005. And he wrote to 50 chief execs of major financial institutions because he wanted to integrate ESG into the capital market he was saying it's good business sense, it's more sustainable, and it's better for society. So obviously, it's been going on for 15 years. And there are some people who say, well, you know, maybe this is a fad. But I don't think that's right either. Because if you look at the way in which technology has enabled everything to be more transparent, the data is available. And you have to look at people's access to tech, which empowers them to express their own values in investing. And it doesn't necessarily mean that they have to compromise on returns. A really obvious example here is climate change and how scientific certainty has forced directors towards good stewardship because the impact that businesses can have on the environment is now incredibly clear.
1: The Mishcon Academy Digital Sessions. To access advice for businesses that is regularly updated, please visit mishcon.com. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishcon Dorea. It's business, but it's personal.
0: All our former Jazz Shapers are available for your delectation on the Jazz Shapers podcast. and You can hear this very program again if you pop Jazz Shapers into your podcast platform of choice. My guest today is Vanessa Jacobs, founder and CEO of The Restory, an aftercare service restoring luxury fashion. Um, Your family background is is interesting, the moving around. And and I think you've talked openly about a very close relationship with your mum and how she's influenced you. You've also referred just then to the difficulty of, you know, those, the, the pressure that you feel because you're so personally invested in this baby called the restory, which was called the other thing, which we don't need to mention again. <laughs> how in those early months and, in fact, the last five years, how has she influenced you in the way that you've tackled this incredible thing called setting up your own business?
2: So my family background is that my mother, my mother had me very young, 18. In those days, you married... The other person involved, um, <laughs> so they were quite young. He had um, he had some personal problems, which made him, you know, a nice guy, but not a great father and not a great husband. And then she had three she had three more. So by twenty two, she had three kids and a and a bad marriage, and hadn't had a chance to go to school yet. And he wasn't really somebody she could rely on. So so she re- she was really on her own and in a tough spot. And she she very much just decided that she was looking around at other people in her life who were in a similar situation but didn't necessarily make it out the other side in a way that she would want to see for herself. So she she read a book, I forget what it's called, but it was about a woman who had been through something similar and came out in a way that my mother found admirable, and she just put this picture in her mind and she just focused on it. She just laser, laser, laser focused on it, like like almost like a horse with blinders. And she just she just moved heaven and earth, did whatever she needed to do, worked every hour that God gave her, and you know was able to. Uh, you know, we moved back east. We moved in with my grandfather. She got herself educated. She got herself educated some more. So she got her MBA. She uh, eventually got remarried, had two more children. So my stepfather adopted. The original three of us now there are five of us and you know she's quite you know now she's in a good spot she's had a very good healthy happy life and she's the most tenacious person I've ever met so I would say that's that's what I've gotten from her
0: and you say it with such great pride just looking at you I mean it's extraordinary <laughs> just looking at your face as you talk about your mum. is that you I mean you know we all you know you talk about writers the best writers have experience They've experienced something which has been difficult, yeah. And obviously, it was more difficult for your mum than you because she did everything she could to make it work for you. But is is a lot of that sense of toughness and hard work and and the necessity to really focus has that become who Vanessa Jacobs is?
2: I mean, absolutely. We we all become our parents, even <laughs> even despite our best efforts sometimes. Um, but in that sense, I'm I'm very happy to have inherited that from her. Ironically, and and I don't. I didn't know my father very well. I was, I was quite young when the marriage split up, and there wasn't much contact after that. But I did understand him to be, and I do remember him being, you know, kind of funny and, you know, and kind of a good time, good time person. So um, I hope that I, 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 I think that's part of me as well. Um, and then there are, you know, there are your own images that you kind of adopt along the way. The way that my mother adopted this image of this woman and, and you kind of emulate yourself off that. So I think, yes, I'm very, very much like my mother, but I'm also, um, you know, I, I think I approach the world with a little less sense of risk than she does. Um, and clearly this is a very risky thing that I've done and, um, and perhaps a little bit more adventure. And I think that, actually, I think I got more from my husband than I got from from my parents.
0: It's good to know husbands have uses. right? <laughs> You'll be very happy to hear that that's one, definitely one high level of utility. <laughs> Stay with me for much more from Vanessa Jacobs, my business shape. Today. She's the co-founder of The Restory, which is a lovely business which makes things that need fixing into things that don't need fixing anymore. Creates the original state that they were in. I can picture you setting up this business. I can picture you now running this business. Tell me a little bit more about how you've managed to actually fund the thing, because you you, you alluded to the fact it's early. Circular fashion is a thing, but it wasn't a thing a few year, literally a few years ago. It's a thing now, but the the numbers are still being plotted, and everyone's talking about whether well, you look at the real reels figures or uh, Vestia or whoever it might be. There's mm. huge predictions for this thing to just kick take off, and I'm sure it will. For you though, talk to me about a couple of the, the things that you've had to focus on to make it a reality in the last few years.
2: I'm not a serial entrepreneur. I'm not that's not kind of how I how I approach this. I had a you know, I had a very decent corporate career before, obviously. What I saw was, you know, a status quo that I was sufficiently angry and frustrated about that I was willing to do something about it and i think serial entrepreneurs would have approached things like funding in a much more strategic way than than i did and this is this has been a big lesson so to answer your question we've been funded by ultra high net worths and and a few small institutional bits of money we've never had you know kind of a big vc come on board
0: so the fu- the funding has been one thing that you've really had to focus on and what you were saying you know the learning curve is
2: people would always say to me you know be be careful if you when you take on other people's money and and I didn't re- I never really understood what that what that meant and people would also say things like you know be careful about being too early and I I also didn't really understand what that meant at the time so I don't know if I could do it again differently because As I said, it's not, I didn't just identify a problem that I felt there was a large enough audience for. I I approached a problem from the point of view that I wanted to see this in the world and thought about, you know, was there enough of me later? So I was probably too early. That makes funding rather difficult, but, Mm. but... I'm grateful that there I was able to find a sufficient amount of people who were willing to fund an idea that they that they also felt really passionate, passionate. about that yeah. needed to be seen in the world. But
0: in a way, though, the world's gone a bit into your space, which is now there's less Correct. money around. And you know what? It isn't all made-up money in five years' time, pyramid capitalism, whatever you want to call it. It's Correct. real does that mean that the focus in your business is much more real and much more focused on how am I going to drive if it's not a profit? How am I going to break even at least in a way that you may not have had if someone had given you a hundred million quid?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think the old game was that it was very much growth before profit. And I think I've seen this a few times. I'm a bit older than a typical, you know, I'm not a 20 nothing entrepreneur. I've seen this, this cycle a few times. So I know the world kind of moves back and forth. So I I always had this awareness that you really need to, you may not be going for bottom line profitability straight away, but you certainly really need to be focusing on the unit economics because you need to be able to at least get pretty close to the black, you know, when the music stops and the world, you know, kind of the spin slows down. You know, I think we're heading into a decade of higher interest rates, and I think that that is going to have a real impact on on all sorts of alternative financing, so
0: Part. You're ahead of your time again. You see, you see, that's what really happened. <laughs> well, I got... I'm also
2: married to an economist. <laughs> oh,
0: there you go. But these are, these things are useful. The economists, are, they have They have a. Uh, but being... I
2: think I think it will be a very different world for the yeah. next couple of couple of years, for
0: sure. Keep your feet on the ground because that's where they're going to have mm-hmm. to be. Final chat coming up with my guest Dave, Vanessa Jacobs, and there's music from Fela Kuti. That's in just a moment. Don't go anywhere.
1: Jazz shapers on Jazz FM in partnership with Misconderrea. It's business. But it's personal.
0: Vanessa Jacobs is my business shape, but just for a few more minutes. Where does the technology piece fit into this? Because I read a lot about how you're going to make it very easy for brands, of whom you're already partnering with, big brands, where you go, we'll take away the problem for you. You want your brands to be able to retain the customers that they have from buying these very nice goods, not uber luxury, everyday mm. smart luxury. And we're going to give you a piece of tech that makes it very easy to process that. Tell me a little bit about where that's going.
2: So our recursive strategy has always been to start a consumer proposition, elevate the experience, prove that people wanted it, prove people would pay for it, yes, use that to get in with the retailers, use the retailers to kind of get in with the brand and and ultimately make aftercare as an integral part of the fashion experience as shopping itself. So that's always been our, our strategy. So we were always... If you've ever tried to kind of sell a car or, or a nice watch or something like that, you nobody wants to buy the car from you. They want to buy it from a credited source where they've got some recourse if, if something goes wrong. And I think particularly in the the higher you go up the luxury pyramid, the, the more true that becomes. So we always knew that we were here to enable consumers to invest in the brands that they love but also to enable the brands to incorporate aftercare into their value proposition in a way that they wanted that fit with their brand at the scale they needed and at the quality they would they would expect so if you think Farfetch for Fashion or Amazon or even Nicado you build lots of technology in order to run your business and scale your business and we always had an eye that this would be also be a b2b proposition so we've been building this technology in this direction since day one we for a long time felt that we would be using our technology on somebody's behalf you know in a in a private label type capacity so i, I don't want to use a, a brand but you know we would act like them talk like them and we would be using our technology and our and our infrastructure on their on their behalf about 2021, what we started to, we started to realize that there are some brands that already have an aftercare solution and they're quite happy to use their own physical assets and, and personnel assets to run it. Mm. What they don't have is a, the technology to be able to scale it. So for example, Nudie Jeans, it's part of their value proposition is that they'll repair it and what the way that they've set it up is they have accredited suppliers all over the world. What they can't do is they can't stitch it all together. So, for example, if you're in Stockholm, and this was the case at least a few months ago, you can't get your nudie jeans repaired because the suppliers that they've set up in Sweden are totally, totally out of capacity. Meanwhile, their guy in Berlin or wherever could be sitting there totally underutilized. So... Part of what our technology enables them to do is to be able to, if they've got those assets, to be able to stitch that together and treat it as an ecosystem and be able mm. to kind of load balance their system.
0: And if you were a betting woman, would you say that's going to be worth kind of more, as it were, to the business than anything else?
2: Well, I, again, going back to Ocado, Amazon, Farfetch, I think, you know, with any, with any business, <laughs> it's, you know, the, the technology asset tends to be the, tends to be the multiplier.
0: Keep focusing on the technology asset. Sounds like a good idea to me. <laughs> it's been lovely talking to you, Vanessa. Thank you um, so much. Thanks for sharing everything with me today. Just before I let you go, what's your song choice and why have you chosen it?
2: It's Erica Badu and it's Don't You Know. I was a very young person in the late 90s in New York and I was never a club person. I was more like a lounge person. And um, it kind of just reminded me of being in the East Village, just in these places. And it was, you know, so I think everyone gets a little nostalgic for those for those days. But then, you know, as I got older and went through more and more experiences, now I started paying attention to the words. I think it, it is about the way you kind of pivot and, and get challenged along the way. But as you get older, you also start to realize that, you know, it'll all be okay.
0: Erica Badu there with Didn't You Know, the song choice of my business shape of Vanessa Jacobs. She talked about the repair industry not bending female enough and how that was a gap that she wanted to fill. She talked about the tenacity and the focus of her mum and how that's influenced her deeply in the way that she lives and runs her business. And she talked about the importance of having her feet on the ground in the context of the new world of funding. Every new business, every young business is going to have to get real about the fact that there is not as much money going around and they're going to have to cut their cloth accordingly. Great stuff. That's it from me and Jazz Shapers. Have a lovely weekend.
1: Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal.
0: We hope you enjoy that edition of Jazz Shapers. You'll find hundreds more guests available for you to listen to in our archive. To find out more, just search Jazz Shapers in iTunes or your favourite podcast platform, or head over to mishkon.com forward slash jazzshapers.